This morning we're looking at the Psalms again, which we've been looking at since the week um, after Easter. And so I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 12. Psalm 12 is found on page 280 of the Book of Common Prayer. And we're going to read these Psalms, uh, the Psalms that we're going to do this morning, um, together. So I'll lead us in that. Our first Psalm is Psalm 12, found on page 280 of the Book of Common Prayer. And we're going to read this Psalm of Lament, this anger Psalm, actually, in unison. So we'll read this all together, beginning on page 280. Help me, O Lord, for there is no godly one left, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. They speak falsely, every one with his neighbor. They flatter with their lips and deceive with a double heart. The Lord shall root out all deceitful lips and the tongues that speak proud things, which have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own, <laughs> who is Lord over us. Now, because of the trouble of the needy and because of the deep sighing of the poor, I will rise up, says the Lord, and will give help to everyone who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure, even as silver that is tried in the furnace and as gold that is purified seven times in the fire. Preserve us, O Lord, and save us from this perverse and evil generation. The ungodly walk on every side when wickedness is exalted among the children of men. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 5. We'll listen or reflect or turn your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second Psalm is Psalm 109, found on page 416 of the Book of Common Prayer. So I invite you to turn to page 416. This act of participating in reading is a way of engaging in worship and letting God speak to you through the words as we recite together. We're going to read Psalm 109 responsively by whole verse. So I'll read the odd verses and you respond with the even. It's a longer psalm and I'm going to pause us at a couple of points um, just to give us breath and also to reflect the change in where the, um, where the, the mood of the of the passage of the psalm is changing as well. So Psalm 109, beginning on page 416, I'll read the odd, please respond with the even. Hold not, <clears throat> excuse me, hold not your tongue, O God of my praise, 
For the mouth of the ungodly, the mouth of the deceitful is opened unto, upon me. They have spoken against me with false tongues. They encompassed me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for the love that I had for them, they have become my adversaries, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they rewarded me with evil for good and hatred for my love. And we're going to pause here. And now the psalmist turns to his anger into cursing upon his enemies. Set an ungodly man to be ruler over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When judgment is given, let him be condemned and let sentence be passed on him for his guilt. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children be vagabonds and beg their bread. Let them be driven out even from desolate places. Let the creditor consume all that he has and let strangers take his labor for spoil. Let there be no one to pity him nor to have compassion upon his fatherless children. Let his posterity be destroyed and in the next generation, let his name be blotted out. Let the wickedness of his fathers be held in remembrance in the sight of the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be always before the Lord that he may root out the memorial of them from the earth. Because he was not reminded to do good, but persecuted to death the poor and needy and those who were brokenhearted. His delight was in cursing. <clears throat> let curses come upon him. He loved not blessing, therefore let it be He clothed himself with cursing, excuse me. <clears throat> As with a garment. So let it soak into his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him as the cloak that he has on and as the belt that he always wears. And we're going to pause here. Um, beginning in verse 20, the psalmist turns from cursing into trusting in God who makes his promises for God to be vindicated. I'll begin on verse 19. Let this be the recompense from the Lord to my enemies and to those who speak evil against my soul. But deal with me, O Lord God, according to your name, for sweet is your mercy. O deliver me, for I am helpless and poor, and my heart is wounded within me. I disappear like the shadow that lightens, and am shaken off like a grasshopper. My knees are weak through fasting, my flesh has grown lean for want of nourishment. I have become a reproach to them. When they look on me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your mercy. And they shall know that this is your hand, and that you, O Lord, have done it. Though they curse, yet you bless. Let them be confounded who rise up against me, and let your servant rejoice. Let my adversaries be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace, as with a cloak. As for me, I will give great thanks unto the Lord with my mouth and praise him among the multitudes. For he, he shall stand with the right hand of the poor to save their souls from the unrighteous judges. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Um, if you uh, are 
out there at home today. Hopefully you are, if you are on our email list, you received the email with the video from uh, Tim Kirby for a kid's class lesson and also with the printouts. Um, take a moment to, uh, during the next few minutes as we're talking about God's word, to, to color those in, to, um, to play out the, the scene that's there of Jesus and Peter after Jesus' resurrection. And if you want to take a photo of that, your kid coloring it in, and uh, post that to the bulletin board. So you can use that during this time if you're one of the kids who would like to do that. So here's the, the question that we're asking this morning. Um, in Psalm 58.6, Psalm 58.6, let me read this to you. This is not one of the ones that we read, but Psalm 58.6 is a psalm um, that matches the ones that we've just read. And here's what it says. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouths. Strike their jawbones. Break their teeth and break their jawbones. That's a prayer that the psalmist in Psalm 58 says of his enemies. And the question is this, as Christians, do you think we can pray like this? As Christians, is it okay to pray like that? We're looking this morning at what theologians and Old Testament scholars called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory basically means curses, praying curses and judgment on your enemies. And they follow a typical pattern, which we actually saw in Psalm 12. We read that one on purpose because it follows the typical pattern of an imprecatory or cursed psalm, a psalm of anger, where the psalmist is venting their frustration at their situation, at the injustices they're experiencing, and asking God to come and enter with his mighty hand, with his justice, to bring justice to them, but also to bring judgment on their enemies. And the way that these these follow, the pattern that they follow is the pattern of any lament psalm. Some lament psalms are cries of uh, sadness and, and desire for mercy, and others fit more this, the cursed psalms, the imprecatory psalms of God's justice and judgment being brought on enemies. They always begin with a, pl a plaint, a complaint. And verses 1 and 2 are that complaint in Psalm 12. The psalmist says, no one godly is left. I'm basically by myself. There's nobody else who is godly. And everyone speaks falsely. So I'm by myself and everyone is telling lies. That's his complaint, his plaint. Then he moves to plea. And his plea is in verses 3 and 4, and especially verse 3, where he says, root out all deceitful lips and the tongues that speak proud things. And then he finishes with what I'll call praise in verses five through nine, but it's praised often in a, in a curse psalm that depends upon the promises of God. And the concern throughout one of these curse psalms, the concern is actually God's honor. It is that God would vindicate his name. The psalmist is saying again and again, you say this about yourself, God, well, show up. Show me that that's the case. You're a God of justice. Show me justice. You say that you hate the proud and the arrogant and those who oppress the poor. Step in. Do something about it. Vindicate your name. Let people know who you are, God. And one of the things that's, that jumps out about these curse psalms, these anger psalms, is the, the, the depth of emotion and the blatancy of their curses. They're, they're violent. Um, the, the phrasing of them is what uh, 
what David Taylor in the book Open and Unafraid that we're looking at called profane. They are asking for things that for us feel like it's outside of the bounds of the sort of thing God should do or we should be asking for. Like the, you don't talk about this in church, what the psalmists are asking for. That's sort of our, our response. And with some of them that we read, we find it very disturbing. In Psalm 12, which we just read, in the, um, the Book of Common Prayer, the, the older language talks about rooting out deceitful lips and tongues. But it's literally, in the Hebrew, cut off their lips and cut out their tongues. I have these people that are talking badly that I don't trust. I want you, God, to cut off their lips and cut out their tongues. Psalm 109 that we read a little later feels even more uh, profane and violent. Because not only does it say, bring uh, judgment on my enemies, but also on his family. In verses 8 and 9 and 11 of Psalm 109, this is the curse that the psalmist asks for. Let my enemy's children be fatherless. Let his children be vagabonds and beg their bread. And let there be no one to have compassion upon his fatherless children. I want my enemy to, to have his kids orphaned. I want them begging for bread and I want no one to have mercy on them. Can you really say that? The psalmist does. In Psalm 109, as he's crying out in his own anger at the injustices that he's experiencing or has seen. And one of the psalms that we didn't read, because it almost feels like we can't read it in church, but here it is, is Psalm 137. And listen as I read some of it. First, just hear the emotions. This is a psalm that was written by, um, by musicians, worship leaders, musicians, songwriters, as they had been taken into exile in Babylon. Their entire city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Probably most of their families and friends had been killed and they had been taken off into Babylon. And this is what it says, by the waters of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. As for our harps, we hung them up upon the trees. For those who led us away in captivity required of us a song and melody in our heaviness. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Basically, they're saying that their, their captors mocked them. Sing one of those happy songs of Jerusalem, those ones you write about now that you're here in Babylon, now that your family has been destroyed and Jerusalem laid waste. And the psalmist basically says, I've given up singing. How shall I sing the Lord's song in this land of captivity? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill to play music and my tongue be unable to sing. And then he goes on to say, remember the children of Edom, O Lord, in the day of Jerusalem, for they said down with it, destroy Jerusalem to the ground. And then it closes with this curse. O daughter of Babylon, wasted with misery, happy shall be the one who rewards you, Babylon, as you have done to us. Blessed shall be the person who takes your children and throws them against the stones. Literally, blessed it will be the one who takes your babies and smashes them down on the rocks. It's the sort of phrasing that is the most violent and absurd language that we don't have a place for. And we wonder, like, what do we do with these things? 
calling for lips to be cut off or children to be fatherless or thrown to the ground and killed? What do we do with these? One of the things we have to remember is that the language of the Psalms are giving words to the emotions of anger and pain and laying before God his nature and saying, you are a God of justice, bring justice. And the wording feels absurd to us, but we also know what it's like to have those feelings of grief and anger and pain. (laughs) And one of the things to remember is this, Psalm 137, which I've never heard read in a church service, was a psalm of corporate worship in Jesus' day. If you visited the synagogues in Jesus' day, Psalm 137 would have been one they sang together. All 150 psalms were a part of their hymnody, the prayers and songs that they corporately sang. Now think about that. 40% of the psalms are lament psalms, cries of anguish or of anger, of sadness or of cursing, 40%. Now compare that to most Christian music that you and I listen to or know. How much of it matches the the wording and the pain of a lament? Two out of five songs that Jesus would have sung would have fit that. Compare Psalm 137 to the hymns that our church sings or any church sings. It seems like there's, there's a lot of praise and thanksgiving, which there should be. Um, And there are prayers, please. But the depth of pain seems to be missing. And I think one of the things that the Psalms do is that they give voice to our anger. I, I think often people, when they're dealing with incredible pain and suffering, they wonder where are the songs and the prayers that that I need? Where are the songs and prayers we need in our anger? Over this past week, um, I was listening to a lot of music, which I do generally, and what I started listening for um, in my Spotify playlist was songs of anger, regardless of who made them. And what I found was that it was in uh, <laughs> folk and rock and R&B and pop and hip hop where the songs of anger were easier to find. So I listened to an album that is that came out recently by the 90s and early 2000s, uh, solo artist Fiona Apple called Fetch the Bolt Cutters. And I listened to the whole album because she's known for singing out of a place of pain and hurt because of things that have happened in her life. And it is, it's this whole album of jarring rhythms of dissonant sounds interspersed with the melodic lines of her piano and voice. And in it, you hear a lot of anger and pain. And it matched the wording of some of these curse psalms better than a lot of the other stuff that I listened to. And you know, there's a whole history in pop and rock and and popular music, if you would, of anger and protest coming out there, whether it's Bob Dylan with his first albums, a a song like um, Masters of War, or Marvin Gaye a few years later singing What's Going On, even to early U2 where they sang Sunday Bloody Sunday crying out about the violence in Northern Ireland. These songs that talk about war and violence and, um, and a desire for these things to cease can give voice to the anger that often is in our own experience. Some of the most profound and powerful is also the this, this sort of things that we don't like to listen to much. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of, uh, of some of the 
the hip hop that came out in the late 80s and early 90s, but when the band or the, the artist, the rap group NWA came out, their, their first album called Straight Out of Compton was one that by and large was condemned by everyone in mainstream America. But it gave voice to the suffering of these young men who'd grown up in poor and gang violent, destroyed lives of, of LA. And if you read some of the lyrics, they're hard to read, but the sounds and the, the words gave, gave voice to an entire generation of people who had suffered under racial injustice and bias and felt the pain and anger of having no power. And here was a group shouting out in anger the very things that they had felt. When we are hurt and sad and angry, what gives voice to that hurt? What enables us to feel like we've been heard, to restore us, to help us? Unfortunately, in our pain and anger, the songs that people often need, they don't find them in the church. I'm not saying they don't exist and there isn't a place for the, the worship songs that we sing, but there's something maybe that this, the, these curse psalms have to offer. You know, this past week, I, I can't get over the story of, <laughs> I know you've heard about it, of Ahmad Arbery, the young man who was, um, <laughs> was shot down, chased and shot down in a Georgia neighborhood. And I don't know all the details of the story, but to think of that story being told again, end of two months with no arrests, and you wonder, what hymn do you offer? What prayer? It's Mother's Day, there's his mom who lived with him. What song are you gonna give her? What song do I offer her? What prayer? So much of the types of things we sing don't do justice to injustice. They don't give authentic voice to pain and suffering and loss and the anger that comes with it. Now look, sometimes our anger is, is just sinful and wrong. I'm not saying all anger is good, it's not. Most of my anger is just selfish. I want things my way. And when I don't, I lash out. I, I lose my temper because things aren't going my way. And a lot of anger is born out of a place of being threatened. And most often that threat has to do with our position, our power, our control, our name. We feel most angry when we feel like the things that are most important to us are most threatened. And when what is most important to us is anything but God and his name, we're constantly feeling threatened. We're seeing other people at work, somebody at home, somebody at school who is threatening our name, our place, our position, our control, our power, and we get angry. And sometimes that even goes into the place of scary anger or even violence, and none of that is okay. There's not a place for that. That needs to be brought to the light and healed by God. Sometimes though, our anger comes out of place of pain and tears. 
because of things that have happened to us, the past or our more recent present, the abuse, the loss, the suffering. And there's a place to get counsel and help, but recognize sometimes that anger that we lash out in is actually coming from a place of wounds that have never been healed or dealt with. They need a place to have voice, to have prayer. Sometimes our anger comes from a place of suffering injustice, either our own or others. And there's a sense of righteous indignation, that sort of anger that Jesus had at his own people rejecting him, the leaders of his people uh, not acknowledging who he was, and that anger at the injustice of it all. I think the imprecatory psalms, these cursed psalms, can be the help that we need to give voice to our pain. They can help us in a number of ways. One is they do give voice to our anger. Um, maybe a, a lot of the, the worship songs that are out there don't really match these imprecatory psalms, but the psalms are there themselves. Psalm 12 and 109 and 137. And they give voice to the anger of the hurts that we have endured of injustices that we've seen. These sound like the sort of things that we want to say when we're most angry. And they let us know that we are not alone. These songs and these prayers let us know we are not alone. And you know, when you hear songs that match your feelings, whatever the song is, I don't care who the artist is, when you have those songs that match your feelings, it lets you know you're not alone. And there's a power in that, in feeling like I'm not alone. I've been heard. I've been hurt in my, my tears and in my anger. And the other thing is these imprecatory psalms, these cursed psalms, they, they cause us to look to God, to look to God for justice. You know, the, the book of Exodus talks about the people of Israel grumbling, and grumbling is when you are angry and accuse God. Or in your anger, you turn from God. But these psalms, these psalms are consistently clinging to the promises of God. They're saying, God, you say you are a God of justice. Act. You are a God who cares about the poor. Act. Do what you say you will do. And the beauty of these sorts of psalms, according to some writers, is that when we look to God for justice... These cursed psalms rescue us from doing evil. Because we're giving our anger over to God's justice. We're not taking justice into our own hands. And ultimately, we're saying, even if not in this life, I know that the God that I believe in is a God who is judge. And look, that's hard for some people. It's hard for some of us, some of you listening today, to say that God is a God who judges him, that there is a final judgment. But we say it again and again, and it's one of the things that Jesus himself said. One of the commentaries I was reading cited uh, a P.D. James uh, mystery novel called Original Sin, talking about this very idea of whether you can have a God who judges or not. And in the... In the story, one woman says to her colleague, who's Jewish, she says, if I had a God, I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. Her colleague, who was Jewish, replied, I doubt whether you'd find that God much of a comfort when they herd you into a gas chamber. 
you might prefer a god of vengeance then. Miroslav Volf, the Croatian theologian, said, it takes the peace and quiet of a suburban cul-de-sac to believe in a God who does not act final judgment. And these cursed Psalms allow us to hand over our desire for judgment to God, the true judge. As one author put it, these Psalms are an attempt in the face of the most profound humiliation and suffering suppress the lust for violence by surrendering everything to God, a God whose judgment is so universal and so universally just that even those who pray the psalm must submit themselves to it. These psalms give voice to our pain. They cause us to hand over our justice to God and they anticipate the cross. You know, the imprecatory Psalms look to God to bring judgment, to take sin seriously. And of course the cross is just where that God does that. He takes so, sin so seriously that he comes and enters humanity, bears the sin of all humanity, suffers the judgment that we deserve in our place and offers us his love instead. The cross is where God's justice and love meet. He, Jesus, experiences injustice so that we might receive mercy. And that's why the cross is the power to have hope even in our anger. Jesus hanging from the cross says to those who crucified him, Father, forgive them. And if we're any of us reading that earnestly, we know that's not just Father, forgive them, it's Father, forgive us. Jesus is saying to them and to us, all for whom Jesus died, forgive them. The cross of Christ, the gospel, causes us to see ourselves no differently than Pilate or Judas or the Roman soldiers. To recognize in them ourselves, our own sinfulness, even in our desire for justice, for violence to be done sometimes, it's the recognition that we are sinners who would have crucified Jesus. We are no different. And that's why the cross makes healing and forgiveness and peace possible. These Psalms give us voice. They turn us to the God of justice, whose justice and mercy was met on the cross. And that's where we hand ourselves this day. Let's pray. God, our Father, I know not everyone out there feels anger all the time or has that sense of suffering and injustice, but it does exist and at times in our life we will all feel it. Help us to see in these Psalms that we so often overlook the songs and prayers that so much of the world needs this day. The songs and prayers that we need to hand over all of our visceral emotion to you and to trust the God of judgment and justice, who on the cross gave us his love and mercy, in whose name we pray, amen.